Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where we feature champions in their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that will inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to find out how to lead innovation, and Chow He will tell us how to do it. Now, he's an accomplished MIT graduate who's been at the forefront of technology and innovation. Uh, Chow's engineering journey led him to co-found Swenson He, which is a trailblazing full-service mobile development agency. They deliver cutting-edge web and mobile applications, which transforms client ideas into reality. Chow's experience expertise, I should say, and operational finesse has not only elevated his agency, but has also earned the trust of his clients and his entire team. Great to have you here, sir. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Bill. Now, I know that you and your partner serve a large audience, but if you were to define it, who do you serve? So, the term serve is actually an interesting one that you, you you use. We truly do see our ourselves as the serve in service of our activities are in service of clients near and far, large and small. When, when we got first, when we first got started, uh, that was one of our missions was to really bring some of the the service element of previous careers, previous job experiences to this industry that we felt had been underserved in some ways, especially from it, from the aspect of professionalism, doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it, being reliable, some of the, the, the really the true professionals. To answer your question, so we serve clients all the way from you have an idea and you have some startup capital, whether you raise it from friends and family uh, or whether you're self-funding it, we will work with you. We don't think any idea is too small to be, to be the genesis of a much larger and much bigger project. And we'll work with you from day one. We're in the ins and outs of every problem, scoping, wireframing, building, testing, everything to get your sort of project off the ground. Those are some of the experiences that are some of the more enjoyable ones, just because you really get in and you get on the ground floor and you get to see how these ideas come to life. And we really love the sort of that process. Which isn't to say that there isn't anything to love as well about very broad projects that already have very broad user bases. We've also worked with Fortune 50 companies that they're, they have existing users that are either asking for or, or already are using a product that we will then touch and immediately have an impact on millions of users. So we've done and everything in between ones that have hundreds of users, ones that have thousands of users. And at every different level, there's a little bit of a different process. But at the very end of the day, it's about creating digital experiences that really connect with whoever the end user is. And at a certain point, it's a very intimate relationship that you have with, with the, the digital product that you're using. So you always have to keep that in mind, regardless of whether you're working with an early stage company or a very mature fortune company. So hints, hints. Your, your company is known as a full-service company. So what I'm curious about is, do these, the, does that wide spectrum of, of people that you serve, 
have you identified problems that they have in common, if you will, that you solve? And if so, what are those problems? That's a good question. I think there are problems that are common to any number of clients. Probably one that comes to mind right off the bat is that any any product that you build, there's a, a sort of a learning curve to to truly getting from what's on the page to what the, the, the customer, so what, what the user ends up actually seeing and, and experiencing with their actual fingers and their actual device. Oftentimes, there's, that can be lost in translation, the, the actual intent of what, what you're trying to go for. Whether you're a large company or whether you're, you're a you know, day one startup, there, it requires a, a, a fair amount and sometimes a unexpectedly high amount of testing of user feedback. And, and that's one of the things that kind of, it, it can take anyone by surprise, just how much le- care and, and attention and detail it takes to, to finally, to actually arrive at a solution that is intuitive, that really does hit the nail on the head. But once you do find that, it's, a, it's an experience that I can tell you from firsthand, having done it so many times, it's an experience that is wor- well worth the wait and well worth all the effort and attention you've put into it. But I can, yeah, it definitely takes a lot of people by surprise and as you're I'm doing sure it. it. Yeah. So maybe our listeners would, would benefit Chow, from you telling us a, a story, a case study, and maybe if you could maybe say, here's an example of a startup company that we are able to help, and here's a Fortune 50 company or a Fortune 100 company that we're able to help. Maybe a couple of case studies, kind of soup to nuts. If you could remember a couple, it'd be greatly appreciated. Yeah, I can actually tell you probably one of the, interestingly enough, we actually had a case study of a company we had a project that involved both types of companies. Mm. So we had, we were actually, we were contracted by a small startup and they were working on a, an IOT device that essentially controlled your home irrigation system. Every, the sprinkler zones, it's a, a pretty common device that you know, a lot of people have in their homes that automatically turns a certain number of zones on or off. It, probably respond some of the more advanced ones is respond to weather. So startup was doing an internet controlled IOT device that had this sort of, it, it controlled a physical hardware device. Now the startup was called Blossom and they were acquired by Scott's miracle Grow. the, everyone knows the Scott's miracle Grow, the, the company yeah. that does lawn care and stuff in one fell swoop, we had a project where we were essentially working directly with you know, 15, I think 15 or 20 person startup, they, they very much were a startup. They, their first offices were at university of Irvine. We literally went to okay. university of Irvine yeah. to work with them. The technology they wanted to use was, it was react native, but this was react native very early on. It was not yet at all mature, but exactly the kind of thing that a startup likes to work on, right? The promise of sort of one set of code for multiple platforms and when you introduce then the, the, the sort of higher level, let's call it oversight or whatever influence you had from Scott's Milk Bureau, which is a fortune 50 company, there was a lot of different interactions that were really interesting, right? You had an engineering team that was very much startup oriented, move fast, break things. And you also had a accounting team or let's call it a sort of oversight team oh. that 
came from a fortune like way of doing things where everything was, you want to think through things carefully. You don't want to, you don't want to make, you want to make sure that everything that you do has several level, layers of redundancy. Um, and on top of all of this, there was, so there was software, there was hardware. You literally had physical devices where you plugged in the relays for different irrigation zones. And on top of all of that, you're doing it in a relatively new technology. So it was an interesting confluence of challenges, both technical, non-technical, up and down the, the chain involving small companies, involving large companies. And we were the glue that held all that together, ultimately delivered a solution that everyone was proud of. And it helped bridge some, a lot of those gaps in a way that really, you know, we think that we're pretty good at. Excellent. Excellent. Now, Chow, you are in a space where there is some gigantic competition and bunch of little moms and pops and everything in between. So how do you guys differentiate yourself vis-a-vis -vis your competition? That, that's a great that's a great question and one I wish I had uh, a, a sort of silver bullet for. But honestly, the answer is there is no silver bullet. We're not, like you said, we're not at a scale where we can bring to bear massive resources and a huge client list that includes half the fortune or even more or half the there's firms out there that can boast a client list and say yeah if you want to if you want to go and compete with one of these large companies we can help you do that because we literally built the playbook for them i think for us we in some ways we then take that same philosophy of bridging multiple worlds and live in a kind of zone where you have smaller clients that are aspirational right and do want to access that sort of next level of prestige uh, but maybe don't have the resources or the, quite frankly, like the, the budget to do that sort of thing. And they want a sort of bespoke solution that is exactly the right size and fit for them. And so that's where, where we've landed is we work really well with the kind of early stage founders. And we re really, the ones that are successful are ones that do aspire to ultimately one day be right up there with the giants. Now, it does take at a certain level, once you get down to brass tacks, it takes, it takes a certain level of attention of care. And I think it really shows when we really try to go the extra step, not just say, Hey, sign here to the dotted line. And then we'll take it from there. We really try to put in front of the client before they've even spent a penny or before they've signed anything, uh, put it, try to paint a picture for them of what is this going to look like? What are all the things that we are going to do? Not just that we're going to deliver for you. What are the things that, that's going to be required of you? Because this is not a one-way street. When, if we really are going to be successful in this together, there's going to be things that certainly that we'll deliver to you, but we're only going to be able to deliver to you what we've set out and, and mapped out together. And so from a client's point of view, there's a pretty long list, in fact, and a pretty involved list of deliverables of action items, and we'll, we'll help walk through all of that. And that's all really even just upfront expectation setting that helps for us. We found it really helps give a client a good idea of what they're even signing up for, especially ones that haven't gone through this before. And I think that's one of the things that probably to us has helped us over the years, get just that extra little leg up on, on our competition. Because when you feel like you're, you're going through a process that you understand, that someone has helped walk you through, it's it's a level of trust that ultimately helps us win new clients. Excellent. 
So uh, tell us about what the major milestones were as you uh, built your business. Major milestones. We've been doing this about 10 years now. I can actually probably literally uh, draw you a picture of the, you know, the, the first office that Nick and I had where everything was set up. It's clear as day to me. I think probably one of the first big milestones with our first employee. And we didn't actually hire anyone for a good year and a half. The first year or year and a half, it was, it was about Nick and I understanding each other's working styles. It was about, we had a client. In fact, the genesis of our business, our sort of genesis story is that we had a client that was looking to do some almost like exper experimental kind of freelance work. And we, we did that and one thing begot another and it grew into, into a much larger engagement. But Nick and I did all the engineering for the first year and a half. Really, it was like end of year two where we really started thinking about hiring someone. So we brought on our first engineer. That's probably one of the bigger milestones. Things change when it's not just your partner and you sitting in a room writing code from sunup till sundown. Then from there, probably getting a, a second large client, that would probably be another big milestone. You no longer are, is it just servicing the needs and thinking all day long about one client. Now you're suddenly having to juggle two and you're starting to have to divide responsibilities. It's no longer that you can both make every decision together when one client has to deal with, when one partner has to deal with one client and the other has to deal with a different client, things evolve and you have to start setting up reporting structures and processes that you didn't necessarily have to before. And it's all in the, in the, over the course of a lifetime of a business, things that definitely have to happen. But when it creeps up on you, maybe a little bit, it's a little interesting, the sort of dynamics that, that happen when processes start to really build themselves without you even realizing it. I probably will include a, another beyond that, another milestone of a really unhappy client. The first, when you're able to give such attention to an initial client, I think there's, there's always a time, uh, at least for us, it happened pretty early on where we had a very unhappy client and just learning how to cope with that, the knowing when to stand your ground, knowing when to give strategies for building your case, but in a way that is diffuses situations and come and, and brings people from opposite ends of a negotiating table towards the middle. That was a pretty transformative experience for us. And I think one that we learned a lot from, and obviously you know, it wasn't the last time we had an unhappy client, but it certainly was a pretty big milestone in the sense that we learned a lot of, we, well, through trial by fire, but we certainly learned a fair amount of strategies and experience to help us later on uh, when, when similar situations arose. There, I, I think beyond that, uh, as with the growth of all businesses, there's, there's going to be times that you take two steps forward and one steps back, one step back. Um, you know, another pretty big milestone for us was when we moved into our, what at the time it was going to be our forever home, our largest office yet. Uh, we had almost 40 or 50 full-time employees in Los Angeles. We were growing at a rate of 150, 200% a year. And this was late 2010s, 2018, 2019. Things were, things were looking great. And then it just all of a sudden things started looking different. It was clients started demanding because there was a lot of uh, competition from overseas resources or even firms that had bases here in the U.S. but utilized overseas resources. We just we had an immense competition 
And we also felt the squeeze because technology was making it easier and easier for a lot of what we were doing to get done cheaply, more cheaply and more efficiently. We, in the sort of nick of time, and really this was in the nick of time, uh, managed to pivot away from our model of hosting all of our development processes in-house in the United States, actually not even just in the United States, in one office, in the same office in, in, in LA, everyone coming to the work five days a week, you know, eight hours a day. Shifted from that over the course of in the pandemic actually helped in the sense that it accelerated this movement towards remote work. Uh, we're now fully remote. Uh, all of our full-time employees work 100% of their time at home. We have you know a number of company gatherings throughout the year. Uh, but that, I would say that probably what comes to mind in terms of milestones, we're a, di- a completely different company than we were before that shift. And so that was probably the biggest milestone of all was sort of settling on the business model we have now. We're incredibly lean. We're incredibly efficient. We, we the, the our fixed costs are really just the full-time employees that are on our staff. And we have a sort of network of contractors that are, are fully trained, are in fact, they're fully integrated into our team. They all, they attend our all hands meetings. They learn our processes. We, we invest in each engineer to learn our standards and our processes. They're just, they're variable costs for us, which is, which has allowed us to scale very quickly at times of demand demands it and also cut back when we don't have the demand. And so we're able to very quickly adapt to changing market conditions. That's great to hear. I know you've got a a team of senior managers. So tell us a bit about how you and Nick manage the firm day to day. We have a saying at Swenson, at least. So we, we have a saying, I've started to try and do this more and more. And actually I give credit to one of my, one, in fact, one of my team members, he advised me to only do what only I could do. And so as a leader, I try to follow that principle pretty closely. I try to empower my, I try to empower my team to, to do a lot of their own decision-making and set up frameworks for how to, for how to make decisions, how to measure the impact of the decisions that get made. And really for, for me, if I have to make every decision for everyone, that is going to only result in a very monolithic management structure where no one's going to have the freedom to, to make their own decisions. And, and we're, we're essentially not going to be able to scale beyond the capabilities of, or essentially the bandwidth of the senior management, I, as in myself. We spend a lot of time training. We spend a lot of time before that. We spend a, a huge amount of time trying to identify the traits and the characteristics of effective leaders and effective sort of team members that, that are going to be successful in our organization. And the that work that we do up front, we try to realize when when you're actually going through the day-to-day and and try to allow people to make their own decisions and grow and make mistakes within the sort of boundaries that you've set up. And certainly there are times when you have to, to step in and say, okay, this is, this seems to be going off the rails a little bit, or it's not necessarily maybe not uh, so much of a guardrail situation as one where you are trying to help problem solve and help, help think outside the box or help give a second opinion on something that maybe has already been thought of any number of ways, but maybe there's a different way that they, that hadn't been thought of. 
Um, yeah, I think our, our staff all comes highly trained, highly previously very successful in their respective fields. And to me, that's one of the things that also as a leader proves how it's like a, a resource that you have to, if you don't use, then you've wasted when you compile the team and deploy the skills of each of the members of the teams. Yeah. Going around the circle a little bit. But, uh, I think that that's, you're being genuine. Our, our listeners appreciate the fact that you're not putting yourself as out as saying, I've got all the answers, know how to do it. You're, you're explaining the struggles you go through, which is fantastic. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> the company like yours is going to have a continuing flow of new business. So tell us a bit about how you go about finding, identifying and finding new prospects and then converting prospects into customers. Are you usually negotiating the work? Are you being pushed into RFPs? Tell us about marketing and sales a bit. Yeah, that's actually interesting because we are currently... We're current, that's actually one of the things I'm currently working on a revamp of. Historically, we, we're not a large business. So for us, our client concentration is very, it's very concentrated in a small number right. of clients. So there are times, right, when we are completely saturated with work from a, a small handful of clients. There's just to give you an idea of the order of magnitude, we could have three clients take up 100% of our available resources and clamor over the resources that we have and force us to do things like put off the work for a certain client for a week while we deal with another client. Context switching is a really difficult thing, not just even if you're working at any organization, context switching can be a sort of productivity killer, but try to doing context switching for multiple projects at once for multiple clients in different industries. It's there. There's times when that is that's the case that we get completely saturated. There's also times when we have to get creative, right? And we have to say, okay, we've got a bunch of things in the pipeline. Nothing is closed right now, and so we've got extra resources, and we got to figure out how to be productive with that. Any there's any number of strategies you you try to be productive in the sense of maybe you're doing some prep work for future client work that is coming down the pipeline about just hasn't been officially confirmed yet. There's times when you try to build up your internal processes or do, let's call it like spring cleaning work, right? Building tools for yourself to use later on, cleaning up loose ends that kind of always pop up over time. And then sometimes you just have to buckle down and say, okay, we, we were, we're looking for more work. And there these prospects that are sitting on the fence, how do we get them over the fence? Does it mean that we have to go out and build some proof of concept or prove our metal with a little snippet here, or maybe do a design exploration there? Even sometimes say, okay, we're going to go ahead and do a portion of this just to prove to you that we can do this. And we'll just do it pro bono or say, okay, you know what, if we do end up with a, the contract, then we'll bill you for this time, but we'll take the risk and go ahead and, and start doing this for you. Just, just so you can see that we, that we'll put our money where our mouths are. Back to your original question. Actually, I, I realize I'm getting off a little bit of a tangent, but marketing sales and marketing for this sort of organization is not rocket science. It involves a whole number of strategies from top to bottom, right? It, the use of the term funnel is very, it's very, it's a very pertinent analogy here. You literally have a humongous funnel where you can think of any number of potential 
customer or potential client that is interacting with whether it's a blog post, whether it's a social media post, or recently getting more and more active on social, trying to do things like podcasts with business leaders and forward-thinking content creators out there to become top of mind, right? It's not just about, okay, you have an idea and we, we're going to pitch you of how much that project is going to cost. There's a lot of thought that goes into how there's a lot of decisions that need to be made even before you start coming up with a scope or even before you go out for bids. What's involved in building a mobile app? What language is going to be used? How much is it going to take of my time versus how much can I actually trust or how much can I just have the development firm do? How many iterations does it really, should it take to, to arrive at a design that, that will be feasible to build? What are some of the sort of general boundaries, so to speak, around what's possible and what kind of is pipe dream. All these questions are things that any responsible or forward-thinking entrepreneur should be thinking about even before they start picking up the phone and calling dev firms. And that's for us, we want to be there when those questions are asked, not necessarily just at the closing or just the sales process, but we put out content that says, okay, these are the top caveats to look out for when researching dev firms. These are the top pitfalls of getting stuck in an endless loop of design. And when you've become that kind of trusted authority on the process, then as you go, naturally, when the decision comes, when it comes time to make a decision, you've got a front runner already. So for us, that's a big part of the strategy is putting out the content and being top of mind. But obviously that doesn't that in and of itself doesn't close any business. It doesn't, you know, generate any revenue for us. You still have to yourself to close sales. We we employ a number of different channels. There's anything from sales aggregators like Clutch to organic, you know, SEO for our own site, backlinks from podcasts and, and blogs and stuff. They're all different slices of of the same funnel that ultimately it then it comes down to a a pretty sort of hands-on and high-touch environment where someone picks up the, if you call our company, someone picks up the phone and we'll speak to you and speak to you for as long as you need to feel comfortable that we're going to be the right choice for you. No matter how many, you know, touch points or whatever. We just got off a call last week with a prospect that is now in their third iteration of, Hey, I know you've already done all this, but like, we're interested in what, what are some of the design, like design chops you've got? Do you have any ideas for what we can do here for design? And then lo and behold, a week later, we've got a, a call set up where we've gone and invested our own time and, and energy into building a mock-up of what some of the screens in their particular app could look like. Certainly not the, the, the goal, not being to, for obviously for those mock-ups to be usable in their ultimate app, but it's to you know, give them a little bit of sense that, yeah, this is the kind of work that you can come to expect if, if you choose us. Like anything, there's you, you start big and you try to narrow it down. And yeah, hopefully at the end of the day, there's only so much, there's only so many things you can do, but for both the prospect and for us, there's going to be a time when there's a leap of faith and you're just going to have to go for it and hope for the best. That's true. So talking about hoping for the best, what's holding you back right now, do you feel? So I think... The answer to what's holding us back 
is actually so uh, let, 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 let me put it this way i and i maybe i'll ask this as a question so when you say holding you back holding us back from growth bigger, prosperity peace of mind Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually because so the reason I suggested growth, because I use that I hear that word used a lot, growth, and it's always a, most of the time, it's, I would say most like, uh, nearly all the time, it's used in a positive light, right? Like, any business wants to grow. And I think that even look, even look at a company like Apple, right? Apple still reports their earnings and analysts still talk about Okay, is are things growing? Are is the iPhone business growing? Or are and it's bad thing when more people aren't buying iPhones. Um, we've growth has always been one of the things that we've chased, and at times chased to an unnatural extent, or let's call it like a uncomfortable extent. Maybe is the right way to put it. I think when you ask what's holding us back, and if the answer is if the what we're chasing is growth, then I think the answer is actually I'm holding us back right now. The the thing that I'm trying not to do is to be tempted with every chance to grow beyond our, our, our previous high watermarks. Over time, like I said, we've had times where we've taken two steps forward and we've had to take a step back. And quite often, some of those times taking a step back is in response to having overextended ourselves. And that comes with a number of issues. It's always more painful to scale back than to do that same amount of growth. I think to put this all in, wrap wrap it all up, what we're trying to achieve right now is a little bit more stability and, and try to iron out some of those valleys, so to speak, uh, of, of when you do have less sales than you have the, the resources for. That's, that's the sort of growth metric that I'm looking for is actually, it's a kind of derivative of revenue. It's not necessarily like the, the absolute value of revenue itself. Because the formula for growth is actually pretty well understood. You just, you build a sales engine, you build a marketing machine and you feed it capital and it will spit out leads. It's, it'll spit out leads, it'll spit out sales. That's, there, there, it doesn't take rocket science to, scientists to, fi- to figure out that's a playbook that, that's pretty, pretty well understood. The hard part for us is actually having the maturity to say, okay, we've been burned by this in the past. We've, we've tried to grow at breakneck speed in the past and really all that's resulted in is a sort of almost like a, 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 an Icarus moment where you fly too close to the sun, you come crashing down, and then you have to rebuild yourself for the next go around. So yes, I'm holding us back from immense growth, but I think I'm doing it in the interest of stability and long-term business success. I love that answer. Chow, how would our listeners get a hold of you? So the easiest way is to just visit our website. There's a contact form right there, or you can pick up the, also there's a phone number on there. You can pick up the phone and like I said, someone will, will answer. Beautiful. I like that simplicity. It's perfect. Tell me, is there a question that I maybe should have asked you and I didn't that would give the answer to which would give great value to our listeners? Ciao. I don't, maybe not a question. One of the things I think that I'm hearing a lot now is how is the industry changing, right? I think a lot of people know that during COVID, it was every business, everything from your brick and mortar store on Main Street to your mid-level enterprise to even you know large enterprises, fortune companies needed to rethink their digital strategy. And there was this like gluttony of demand for anything to do with software services. And speaking of, right, like peaks in demand, we, we just... 
we were completely inundated the last couple of years. And in some ways it's tailed off a little bit, right? Earlier this year, you saw the massive layoffs, you saw new technology come in and pretty quickly rip out the old. And generally I'm speaking about the generative AI stuff that for, you know, those of you that aren't aware, generative AI has the, the, it has the kind of power to, to replace a lot of kind of old, not just jobs, but old ways of thinking, right? Like possibilities, boundaries that had historically been set by technology that you just didn't think would ever be breached or at least not as fast. And so now it's a different, it's a different world and are the, those of us in the services industry, in the services business have to stay one step ahead of that. It's been a really interesting year because I think the, the sort of peak of, of COVID driven, like nuts and bolts demands, how do I just get this catalog on the internet? How do I just get a mobile app out there that can get people talking to each other that currently are just cooped up? That sort of gluttony of demand has faded. And now people are really feeling the pinch of, okay, I really need to get a hold of this generative AI technology. And I need to beat any number of competitors out there that are trying to do the similar thing, right? With apply the AI concept to X traditional industry. And there's, there's certainly still is a lot of investment and we're still seeing leads and we're still seeing demand um, for our services. But I think a lot of the sort of projects are needing to be a little bit more, a little bit smarter, a little bit more clever. And, and that's one of the things that if, if I could, yeah, like I said, not necessarily a question per se, but my, my sort of view on all of this is that Gen AI is here to stay. It's it's not a flash in the pan, but if you're really going to become the, if you're going to really start to become the kind of next, if you have aspirations to get to that next level, it would really behoove you to to really dig in and dive deeply into this, know where where all the possibilities are, know what's out there already and be creative, right? And go beyond what's already been done. And yeah, that's where the next big billion dollar idea is going to come from. I appreciated that philosophical outlook you just gave us. That was very fun to hear. So thanks, Chow. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for Now, everybody, in closing, let's focus on the single fact that our businesses do not become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as a result of the owner first creating a visionary strategy, second, implementing a management system to execute that strategy, and number three, leveraging high-performance teams. Now, you can get your hands on those three tools by just going to getbillsgift.com, and you'll have them right now. Thanks for listening. Chow, thanks very much for sharing your time and your wisdom with us today. Thanks for having me.